Have you ever faced a challenge that was greater than you? One particular man who went to a party faced a challenge that was greater than him. The story's told about a wealthy Texas man who once threw a party for his daughter since she was approaching the age of marriage. While at the party, he was hoping to find someone for his daughter who was courageous, intelligent, and highly motivated. He invited a lot of young, eligible bachelors to this party. He then took the suitors to the backyard and showed them an Olympic-sized swimming pool filled with poisonous snakes and alligators, and he gave them this challenge. Whoever dives in this pool and swims the length of it can have a choice of one of three things. He can have a million dollars, 10,000 acres of my best land, or the hand of my daughter in marriage, who upon my death will inherit everything I own. No sooner had he had finished this challenge, one young man splashed into the pool and reappeared on the other side in 30 seconds. The rich Texan was overwhelmed with the guy's enthusiasm. He said to him, man, I've never seen anyone so excited and motivated in all my life. I'd like to ask you, do you want a million dollars? Do you want 10,000 acres? Or do you want my daughter's hand in marriage? To which he replied, I don't want any of those. I would like to know who pushed me into the pool. (laughs) That man was definitely facing a challenge greater than him. Have you ever faced a challenge greater than you? Well, if you're breathing, if you're living, you probably have. And if you haven't yet, you will, because we live in a fallen world with fallen people, and challenges are an inexorable part of life. Sometimes challenges are physical. Sometimes they're emotional, sometimes they're vocational, sometimes they're financial, sometimes they're in our marriage. Trials and challenges come in many different shapes and sizes. And the key is this, God wants us to respond to the challenges of life biblically because challenges will either make you or they will break you. They will either make you bitter or they will make you better, you'll become more like Jesus Christ. And sometimes challenges can be very overwhelming. They can break us. Sometimes we feel overwhelmed by the challenges of life. And so the question this morning that I'd like to ask and answer is, how can we be victorious over the challenges of life? Well, I invite you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7, we want to look at verse 17. Next week, John will be back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I was going to do chapter 8, but this was kind of an unexpected thing, so... We're in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 17, all the way to chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. Now, let me tell you exactly what was going on here historically within Israel's history, because Israel was facing a challenge that was greater than her. If you remember the generation that came out of Egypt in the book of Exodus, they were headed to the promised land. God gave them the promised land as an inheritance, and because of unbelief, God allowed them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and that generation was consigned to death, where their children would be the ones that would inherit the promised land, and that's where we're exactly at in Deuteronomy. If you read chapter 1, this new generation is perched in the plains of Moab, and they're about to enter the promised land. However, they were going to face a challenge that was greater than them. They had to deal with the inhabitants of the land. Even though God had promised Israel the land as an inheritance, The people of the land were not going to lay down and let Israel come in and run roughshod over them. Notice the challenge they were facing. If you look at 
Deuteronomy chapter 9, God says this about the inhabitants of the land. Hear, O Israel, you are now about to cross the Jordan to go in and dispossess nations, here it is, greater and stronger than you. See, it was a challenge greater than them. With large cities that have walls up to the sky, the people are strong and tall, they're Anakites. You know about them, evidently they had a reputation, and you have heard it said, who can stand up against the Anakites? See, the inhabitants of the land, they were a formidable group, and God knew that Israel going into the land and conquering the people, that was a challenge that was greater than them, and he knew that they were battling fear. There was a lot of fear, there was a lot of trepidation. I remember when I was in high school, Dan, who's one of the elders here, we went to high school together in Miami, Florida. We went to Westminster Christian. Westminster Christian was a 2A school. It was a small Christian school, and I played football all five years. And when we were on the football team, every year we uh, played teams that pretty much matched us. But this one particular year, my junior year, my head coach decided that we were going to play Key West High School. Now, Key West was a cut above us. They were bigger, they were stronger, they were Anakites. And we had to go down to Key West, and we had to play them in their own backyard. And I'll tell you what, there was about 25 of us, small Christian school, we were scared spitless. We didn't know what would happen. And so the night before, we gathered in our hotel room, and we said, Lord, we are David, and we are facing Goliath. So, Lord, we know there's no chance we're going to beat this team, so we're asking you to deliver us. Well, we went out the next day, and I remember it was parents' night, and all the parents of the Key West players, they were out in the field, and they were announcing who the player was and the parent, and I remember they looked back at us, and they were mocking us, they were laughing at us. When we went into the locker room, they had written all types of profanity, they were engaging in psychological warfare. Well, little did they know that we had God on our side, and even though they were Anakites, we beat them nine to nothing. And I remember it was in the newspaper the next day because people were stunned that Westminster, a 2A Christian school, beat the pagan school, Key West. You see, that's exactly what Israel was facing. They were facing a formidable challenge that was greater than them. And so what God does through Moses is he gives eight principles by which you and I are to respond to the trials of life. These principles not only are for Israel, but they're for you and I. You and I may not face Anakites. We may not face literal physical enemies, but we all face challenges in life. Again, financial, emotional, relational, whatever the challenge is. And by the way, over the years, these principles work because I've applied them into my life. Now, there's no magical elixir when you face challenges in life. You're going to struggle but God wants you to be victorious in those challenges. So let me share the challenges with you, or rather the principles by which you're to respond to the challenge. The first response you are to have when we face challenges greater than us is we are to reject fear. We are to reject fear. Notice, if you will, chapter 7, verses 17 and 18. He says, you may say to yourselves. Now listen, God knows us better than we know ourselves. God knows that when we face challenges in life, we carry an internal conversation. When you're in the shower, when you're driving to work, do you realize you have this tape playing in your mind? You're always thinking, you're always analyzing. And God knew psychologically the state that they were in. And he knows exactly what you're thinking. He says, I know that you're thinking these nations are stronger than we are. How are we going to be able to drive them out? 
God knows when you get that financial need, God knows you're struggling. Lord, how am I going to pay this bill? Lord, how am I going to deal with my wayward teenager? Lord, how am I going to deal with this physical challenge that I'm facing? But notice what God's response is to Israel. He says emphatically and definitively, do not what? Be afraid of them. Notice, if you will, verse 21, God says it a second time to reemphasize this. He says, do not be terrified by them. See, one of the common emotions that you and I experience when we deal with challenges in life is we are often gripped with fear. And the reason why is because we ask the what if questions. What if this happens? What if God doesn't provide? What if I fall flat on my face? Or God, how am I going to take care of my children when my husband just died and left me a widow? And the questions go on and on and on. And so, a common emotion when we face challenges greater than us is we are gripped by fear. Just this morning, I got up and I was at my desk and I was reading on the internet the Word of God and I hear my phone, bing. So I go to the phone and it's a lady from my previous church and she said, could you please pray for me? She said, my daughter is suicidal. So I asked her what happened and she said, well, she's feeling empty, she's feeling depressed and I had to take her to the hospital. And so I delved a little bit deeper to find out what was going on. See, I know what the mother was experiencing. She was experiencing the emotion of fear. Fear often grips us. And listen, God doesn't want us to walk in fear. He wants us to walk in faith because 2 Timothy chapter 1 says this, God has not given us the spirit of fear. God has given us the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind or self-discipline. See, fear is the opposite of faith. God wants us to walk in faith, not fear. I remember one time I was watching a National Geographic episode, and this particular diver was filming a group of octopi. And he zeroed in on this one octopus, and as he was filming the octopus, evidently he was getting too close, and the octopus got very nervous and decided that it was going to attack this man. And so it took its suction cup and it latched itself onto the mask of this particular diver. And I remember the diver panicked. He went into panic mode, and he was trying to extricate himself from this octopus because he knew if he didn't get the suction cup off his mask, he probably was going to die. And I thought to myself, that's exactly what fear does in our life. Fear is like an octopus. What it does is it attaches itself to our life, and you know what it does? It wants to strangle out faith. It wants to choke faith out in our life. You see, because fear and faith are mutually exclusive. Either I'm trusting God or I'm walking in fear. Now listen, we're all going to battle fear, but we have to learn to reject fear in our life. We have to learn to reject it. You say, well, Mike, how do I practically deal with fear in my life? Well, let me give you three suggestions real quickly. Number one, you need to choose to trust in God's word and not your emotions. You need to choose to trust in God's word and not your feelings. You see, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, we walk by faith, not by sight. And sometimes we have to make a choice to do that because our emotions are very, very strong. I like what Isaiah chapter 26 says, very familiar passage to many of us. It says, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast, here it is, because he trusts in you. See, we can't learn to walk by our feelings. We must choose to walk by the Word of God. You know, when you go to aviation school, one of the things that they teach you is when you're flying in an airplane, there are times where you will get the sensation that you are upside down as a pilot. 
And so what they tell you is you cannot rely on your feelings. Rather, you must rely on the instruments because the instruments tell you the truth, not what you're feeling. And you see, God says we must trust in the instrument of His Word rather than what we're feeling, even though we're dealing with fear in our life. So you must make a decision. I'm going to reject fear, and I refuse to let fear govern my life, and I'm going to walk by the truth of God's Word. Secondly, if you're going to deal with fear in your life, you must get into the Word of God. One of the best ways to deal with fear, one of the best antidotes, is to meditate on the Word of God. Joshua 1.8 says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Meditate means to cogitate. And you know, it's interesting, when you're dealing with a challenge in your life and you're battling fear, God will often bring a passage to you. Sometimes you'll pick up the daily bread, and it seems like God has your zip code. Sometimes you open the Bible and the passage speaks to you exactly what you need to hear. But listen, you got to open the book. You got to be in the Word of God for God to speak to your heart and dispel your fears. And then finally, if you're going to deal with fear, you got to pray because it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your anxieties upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. You've got to unload your fear. That's how we deal with faith. So listen, when you and I deal with the challenge, challenges in our life, fear is going to come knocking on the door. And when you go to the door and you look through the peephole and you see fear knocking on the door, listen, don't open the door and let fear in. Because if you let fear in, what happens is, is it threatens to strangle your faith. So the first response you and I need to have is we need to reject fear. Secondly, we need to remember what God has done for us in the past. Notice, if you will, Deuteronomy 7, verses 18 through 20. He says, remember, circle that word, very important word. God says, I want you to remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. You saw with your own eyes the great trials, the miraculous signs, and the wonders, and the mighty hand, and the outstretched arm with which the Lord your God brought you out. In other words, God is reminding them of the 10 plagues that are mentioned in Exodus chapter 7 through 10. He's saying, you remember when I delivered you out of Egypt and I sent the 10 plagues. And then he says in verse 19, the Lord your God will do the same to all the peoples you now fear. Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among them. This could be a literal hornet, or it could be a metaphor for how God's going to defeat the inhabitants of the land. He says, I will send the hornet among them until even the survivors who hide from you have perished. Now, here's the point that God is making to Israel. He says, I want you to remember what I did for you in Egypt. Do you remember how I delivered you from Egyptian bondage? You were young at the time, and I delivered you out of Egypt. And so if I've helped you in the past and I delivered you here, I'm going to deliver you from the inhabitants of Canaan. And listen, this is a very, very important principle when you and I are dealing with trials and challenges in our life and we're wrestling with fear. We need to remember God's past deliverances in our life. Why? Because when I remember what God did for me in the past, you know what that does? It bolsters my faith in the present. I've often said, God, you helped me here. God, you got me through this difficulty. God, you answered my prayer here. God, you gave me provision here. So God, I know this current challenge that I'm dealing with, you will provide because you did it then. I know you'll do it now. When I graduated seminary, I went to plant a church in South Florida. South Florida is a graveyard for pastors. Not an easy area to start a church. And so when we got there, we had to buy a house. And we found a house that was three years old. It was in foreclosure. It was a rancher. 
We bought it for $119,000. It was almost brand new. This is when the housing market began to spike. So we got in at the right time. We bought this four-bedroom, two-bath house. And then after two years, we had to sell the house because we were going to leave to go plant another church. And so I remember every day I would take a walk around the neighborhood because I was feeling the pressure. And I was like, Lord, if you don't deliver me in this situation, I'm going to get behind in the mortgage and my credit's going to go bad and I've got great credit. And so I went back and forth with God. And every day I would take a walk around the block and pray. It was like a release valve for me. And I'd always say, Lord, we're going to trust the Lord. He's going to deliver us. Well, sure enough, within three weeks, we sold the house. God delivered us at just the right time. And we made a little bit of money when we sold the house. Of course, to my chagrin, three years later, the house sold for $350,000. And I was like, oh, one of the biggest blunders in my life. I should have kept the house. But that's when the housing market boomed and then it tanked. When we got to South Carolina, we had everything packed up and we had to find another house. What do you think I remembered when I was dealing with looking for new housing? I remembered how God delivered me in Miami, and I remember how he provided for me. So I said, God, you provided for me then. I know you're going to provide for me now. And see, that's the key, and God did. God provided exactly what we needed. And I remember we were out of money, and out of the blue, I got an escrow check. You see, God's timing is always perfect. If God helps you in the past, he will help you in the present. But the problem is we all struggle with spiritual Alzheimer's. We all struggle with spiritual amnesia, do we not? We forget God's past deliverances, and we get so focused on the challenge, we forget what God has done for us in the past. And listen, that's why it's so imperative that we journal Or we keep a record of God's past deliverances so we can go back and say, God, you helped me here. I'm trusting you to help me here. You know, when I was in seminary, we lived at Basin Rock Mobile Home Park, which is in Red Bank. And of course, they don't have trash pickup. You have to go by the dumpster and put it in there yourself. So one particular morning, I was going to class, and Laura said, Mike, could you take the trash to the dumpster on your way to the class? And I said, sure. So I made a mistake. I put the trash on top of the roof of my car, (laughs) thinking that I would drop it off. Well, I actually forgot. And so I drove from Red Bank all the way down to CIU. It was about a 30-minute drive. And when I pulled in the parking spot, I got out, and a man said, "Uh, sir, you left your laundry on top of your car. And I said, no, that's not my laundry. I was actually surprised it stayed on there. So I solved that problem in the future by doing this. Instead of putting it on the roof of the car, what I did was I put it on the hood of the car right in front of me, so as I drove past the dumpster, I would see it, and I would not forget it. And you know what God wants us to do when we deal with challenges in our life? He wants us to put it in front of us so that we don't forget, because we tend to develop spiritual amnesia. So what challenge are you dealing with in your life? The first response is to reject fear. Secondly, remember what God has done for you in the past. Thirdly, Rest in God's presence. Rest in God's presence. Notice, if you will, verse 21, God says to Israel and to us, do not be terrified by them. Reject fear. Why? For the Lord your God, say it out loud, who is among you. There it is. God is saying, don't fear because I am among you. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And by the way, in the Old Testament, when God promised to be with you, 
That wasn't just his presence, it also involved his provision, and it also involved his power. You say, well, Mike, that was for Israel. That's not for us. Yeah, it is for us. Hebrews 13 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In fact, God is with you to the degree that he lives on the inside of you through the person of the Holy Spirit. He is the parakletos. He is the comforter. He is the one that is with us when we're dealing with the challenges of life. And there are times in our life when we face trials and difficulties and we say, God, where are you? We've all been in that situation before. Do you remember the disciples? They're on the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is known to have tempests that can stir up very quickly because it's below sea level. And what happens is the wind comes down and a storm can arise very quickly. Well, the disciples and Jesus were in the boat. And you know Jesus. Jesus had ministered all day. He was human. He was tired. He was sleeping in the back of the boat. It said he even had a pillow. And of course, this storm comes up and it's threatening to break up the ship, and they thought they're going to die, and so they're doing everything they can to try to rescue themselves, and finally, they come to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, don't you care that we are about to drown? How many have ever felt that way before? You've dealt with a trial in your life, and you feel like God is asleep. God, where are you? Lord, I've been crying out to you for years, and I don't seem to get any relief from this situation. Lord, you promised you'd never leave me nor forsake me, but God, I feel overwhelmed and I feel like you're not answering my prayer. You ever been there before? Well, what did Jesus do? He got up and he rebuked the winds and the wave and he said, oh, ye of what? Little faith. You see, God promises he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And here's the key. We cannot live by our feelings. We must live by the truth of God's word. God says he will not leave us. I remember years ago, again, when I was in seminary, we took a trip to my wife's um, mom's house. And she lives in Pickens, South Carolina. How many know where Pickens is? Pickens is a little in the foothills outside of Greenville. So Laura and the girls went out, except one of my girls, I won't tell you which one, was home. And when she was home, she was little, and uh, I decided to put her to bed a little bit early, so I wanted some free time. You know how that goes as a parent. And so I put her to bed, and about five minutes into her bedtime, I hear this, Dad, are you there? I said, yes, I'm here, sweetheart. Go to bed. Ten minutes later, Dad, are you there? I said, yes, I'm here. I said, go to bed. Fifteen minutes later, Dad, are you there? I said, yes, I'm there. I said, go to bed, sweetheart. And she finally went to bed. You know what she needed? The reassurance of my presence. And you see, sometimes we need the reassurance of God's presence when we go through the challenges of life. And I've said this before, God, if I could just reach out and talk to you. I know God speaks through his word, but sometimes we want that encounter with God because we want to know experientially and emotionally that God is with us. I think we've all been there before, but we need to rest in the fact that God promises he will never abandon us. He will never leave us nor forsake us no matter what the challenge we're dealing with. So whatever challenge you're dealing with, God wants you to reject fear. He wants you to remember what he's done for you in the past. He wants you to rest in his presence. Fourthly, God wants you to reflect on his greatness. God wants you to reflect on his greatness. Notice, if you will, verse 21, he says to the Israelites, do not be terrified by them, for the Lord your God who is among you, here it is, a great and what? Awesome God. You know what God is saying to Israel? He's saying, if you're going to fear somebody, don't fear the inhabitants of Canaan. He says, I want you to fear me. 
Get your eyes off the challenge and get your eyes on the Lord. Because listen, your perspective and your focus determines the size of the challenge. If I focus on the challenge, what happens is it's going to go from a pinhead to a watermelon. On the other hand, if I focus on the greatness of my God, what happens is, is it brings the challenge into proper perspective. And listen, we all struggle with focusing on the greatness of the challenge and the impossibility of the challenge rather than the greatness of our God. See, my focus determines the size. For example, you'll turn the lights down, show these pictures here. Can't see it, but if you'll dim those lights. How many of you know what this uh, building is on the left? Anybody know? It's in downtown Columbia. No, I'm just kidding. That's the Empire State Building. In fact, two years ago, Laura and I went up there. We were at the very top, and it was interesting to get an aerial view. Now, you'll notice on the right, you have an airplane, and you can see Manhattan Island right there. It's hard to pick out the Empire State Building because you're at a different perspective, and it looks a lot smaller. You see, if I'm standing in front of the Empire State Building, my focus or my perspective determines the size. If I'm on the ground looking at it, it looks big. If I'm up in the air in an aerial view, it looks that much smaller. And so it is, you could put the lights back on, so it is with the challenges you and I deal with life. Our perspective determines the size of the challenge that we're dealing with. And you see, for all of us, we struggle with keeping our eyes on God rather than focusing in on the challenge. You see, when I'm going through a valley, I need to focus in on the fact that God is the lily of the valley. When I'm facing troubled waters, I need to focus on the fact that God is a bridge over troubled waters. When I'm facing a mountain, I need to focus on the fact that God is the rock of my salvation. When I'm facing a financial need, I need to focus in on the fact that He is El Shaddai, that He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. When I'm hurting, I need to focus on the fact that He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. When I'm facing danger, I need to focus in on the fact that He is my shield and my buckler, and He is my defense. And when I'm weak, I need to focus in on the fact that He is El Elyon, the strongest of the strong one. See, my focus. And we all struggle with that. That's why we got to get into the Word of God, because when I'm not in the Scripture, my focus gets off God, and it gets on the size of the challenge. Well, there's a fifth response you and I are to have when we deal with challenges in life, and that is we must recognize that God works progressively. Deuteronomy 7, verse 22, the Lord your God will drive out these nations before you. Notice how God is going to drive out the nations. He says little by what? Little. Notice the progressive nature of how God is going to work. Why? He says you will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once. Why? Because the wild animals will multiply around you. God says, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to defeat the inhabitants of Canaan, but I'm going to do it progressively and systematically. I'm not going to do it all at once. Why? Because I don't want the wild animals to multiply around you. And by the way, this is often how God works in our life. It's not the only way He works. There are times where God delivers us instantaneously. I knew a guy in a church that I didn't pastor. He had a big tumor on his neck. And they said, you got cancer. He did what James chapter 5 says. He went to the elders of the church. The elders laid hands on him. They prayed for healing. And God instantly healed him of that cancer. It was totally eradicated from his body. You see, God sometimes delivers instantly. 
I mentioned this at one of the Wednesday night services, it's worth repeating, that when I came here, my treasurer, not here now, but years ago when I came to plant, my treasurer made an error in the books, and we were $2,500 in the hole, and we were a new fledgling church. And I said to my wife, I said, I don't know what we're going to do. I said, I don't want to go before the church. I don't want to ask them to take up this need. And so I got on my knees and I said, God, you're the one who called me to this. God, you're the one who provides. God, you are Jehovah Jireh. So I got up. I went to the bank just to see if they made an error. And I happened to run into a guy that I knew providentially. And he asked me how things were going. And I told him, I said, yeah, this is what's going on. And he said to the lady behind the counter, hey, take 2,500 out of my checking account, put it in the church's account. God answered instantaneous. But you know what? There are times where God doesn't always answer that way. Many times, God works progressively, systematically, and little by little. Sometimes God will make you go through all the chemotherapy treatments, and then the cancer goes away. God healed you, but he used it in a progressive fashion to bring about that healing. Sometimes God will provide financially, but he may not do it in one lump sum. He may provide that extra job that you need. You see, ultimately, God works progressively in our life. And by the way, He does that in our spiritual growth. He does that in our sanctification. Sometimes it's three steps forward, two steps back. But listen, God is a God of process. Yes, He's a God who's a God of instantaneous deliverance, but God often is a God who works progressively in our life. And so remember that whatever challenge you're dealing with, the reason why God works progressively, are you listening? Say amen. amen. Here's why. He wants to teach you dependency. He wants to build your character. God could deliver instantly all the time, and I think all of us wish that He would. But you see, God's more interested in the relationship. He's more interested in intimacy. He's more interested in what we sang this morning about knowing Him, and the way we depend, the way we cry out to God is when God doesn't deliver us right away. He builds our faith. God reveals things about us that are imperative that we know. And so remember this, when you're dealing with a challenge, if God doesn't rescue you right away, it doesn't mean God is not listening to you. It simply means that God may work in a progressive fashion. At some point, He may deliver you or He may not. It just depends. And so how do you deal with the challenges of life that you and I are facing? We need to reject fear, Remember what God has done for us in the past, rest in His presence, reflect on His greatness, and recognize that God works progressively. Number six, when you and I face challenges, we need to rely on God's power. Notice what He says in verses 22 through 24. He's going to say this twice, but the Lord your God. Notice the emphasis there is on God. It's on His power. It's on His strength. It's on His deliverance. But the Lord your God will deliver them, that is the inhabitants of Canaan, over to you, throwing them into great confusion until they are destroyed. If you read the book of Joshua and other parts of the Old Testament, you will see where God did exactly this. And by the way, God wasn't limited to one method. God used a variety of methods in the Old Testament to deliver the Israelites. But here he says, I'm going to throw them into great confusion. And the implication is, you are to depend upon me. And then he says this, he, that is God, will give their kings into your hand, and you will wipe out their names from under heaven. No one will be able to stand up against you 
you will destroy them. You know what God is saying? I'm going to give you the power and I'm going to enable you to defeat the inhabitants of Canaan. You're to trust in me. It is my power. It is my strength that's going to do the work. Now, many times we say, well, God, if, if I'm trusting in you and your power, does this mean that I'm passive in the process? Not all the time. There are times where God wants us to act. Israel still had to go into the land. They still had to fight the people of the land. But nevertheless, God was the one who was going to give them the power to defeat the inhabitants of the land. Now, many times when we deal with challenges in our life, you know what God does, and I've seen this in my life, God breaks us of our self-sufficiency because we all tend to be self-sufficient. We all tend to be self-reliant. And what happens is, is when I deal with challenges in my life that are overwhelming, that I feel like I can't handle, it forces me to my knees and it forces me to say, God, I can't. I need your power, I need your strength, and I need your enablement to get through this. Because listen carefully, when God promises us his power, now watch this, this is very important, God doesn't promise he's always going to deliver us out of the challenge. God will, God will do one of two things when we face challenges in life. He will either deliver us from the challenge or he will sustain us by his power in the midst of the challenge. Do you remember Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? Paul had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh is, a lot of theories. Some people think it was his ex-wife, but that's not true. And so he had this thorn in the flesh, and the Greek indicates this wasn't a thorn bush type of thorn. It was a stake. And it was very, very painful for Paul. And he prayed three times that God would remove it. This probably was fasting and prayer. And he said, God, please take this thorn from me. And what was God's response? Paul, I'm not going to remove the thorn. I'm going to allow it to remain in your life because he says, my grace and my power is made manifest in your weakness. You see, Paul had a problem with pride. He struggled with being pompous and arrogant because he'd been given all these revelations, he says. And so God used it to keep Paul dependent upon him. And you know what? God's power was most manifested in Paul's weakness. And that's what happens when we face challenges in our life. We must rely on the power of God. God says to Israel, yeah, you're going to go in. You're going to fight the people of the land. But I'm the one ultimately who's going to give you the power to sustain you and get you through this difficulty that you're dealing with. You'll notice the picture up on the screen. Joni Erickson Tata, John has spoken uh, much about her and very fondly. I think we all know who she is and how God has used her. At a young age, she uh, was paralyzed. She's a paraplegic. And she asked God to deliver her. She did pray. She went to charismatic faith healers. I read her testimony. She had asked God to deliver her, and God didn't. And she really went through a time of doubting and wrestling with God, as probably all of us would. And finally, she came to accept that it was God's will, despite what the prosperity teachers teach, it was God's will that she remain in this debilitating state in order that she would be able to minister to other people. But she will tell you, God did not deliver her from the challenge. He has sustained her in the challenge as she has relied on his power. In fact, this is another picture of her. Some of you may not have known this. She actually went through a stint of breast cancer recently in the last 10 years. On top of her debilitating um, paralysis, 
She actually went through breast cancer. And so, in that whole time, she had to rely on the power of God. And listen, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to say, God, I can't. You see, when you say to God, I can't, God's got you where he wants you because you're dependent upon him and you're relying on his strength and not your own strength. And so, when you deal with challenges in life, God wants you to rely on his power. Well, there's two more here as we wind down. There's a seventh response that you and I are to have, and this one is critical when we deal with challenges in our life greater than us, and that is we must resolve to obey God. Notice, if you will, verse 25, all the way to chapter 8, verse 1, and this was critical for Israel's success. He says, the images of their gods, when you get into the land, you are to burn in the fire. He says, do not covet the silver and the gold on them. Do not take it for yourselves, or you will be ensnared by it, for it is detestable to the Lord your God. When you get into the land, he says, I want you to wipe out the inhabitants, and I don't want you to take any of their material possessions, and I don't want you to take any of their religious paraphernalia. Verse 26, do not bring a detestable thing into your house, or you like it will be set apart for destruction. As I'm destroying the inhabitants of the land, I don't want you to bring their idols into your house, or I will destroy you. Regard it, here it is, as vile, utterly detest it, for it is set apart for destruction. Chapter 8, verse 1, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Listen carefully. Israel's success in the land hinged on this. All the other things I just mentioned are null and void if this one is not applied to our life. We must resolve to obey God. God says, when you get into the land, I want you to destroy all their religious paraphernalia. I don't want you to take it home. I don't want you to do anything with it because God knew they would be ensnared by idolatry. And we know from Israel's history, that's exactly what happened. And God had to raise up the Assyrians and the Babylonians to spank Israel and take them out of their land. You see, their obedience, watch this, was contingent upon their success. If they were going to be successful, they had to obey the Lord. And so it is with you and I. When we deal with challenges in life, here's the issue, people. Are we walking with the Lord in obedience? Now listen, God's not concerned about the perfection of your life. He's concerned about the direction of your life. Because listen, none of us is going to perfectly obey God. We're going to mess up all the time. But the Bible says if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. The Bible says the more we sin, the more grace we get. That's not an excuse to sin. But the fact of the matter is we stumble, we fall, we sin against the Lord. And God knows that and he loves us. But listen, let me tell you what God is after. He's after the bent of our life. Do we have a heart that desires him above everything else? Do we have a heart that longs to honor him and glorify him? Do we have a heart that wants to conform our life to the Word of God and obey the Word of God? Because listen, some Christians, they want God to deliver them in the fix that they're in, and they view God as a divine fix-it man. You see, they see God as a genie in the sky. They want God to deliver them in their challenges. They want God to sustain them in their challenges, but they're not interested in obeying the Lord. I've talked to multitudes of people over the years in my ministry well, are you walking with God? No. And really, they'll tell you not directly. I'm not interested in really walking with the Lord. What I want is God to get me out of this fix, and I don't want to follow him. So let me ask you a question this morning. 
what do you need to throw in the fire? It may not be a totem pole. Is it a relationship that's ensnaring you? Is it sexual immorality? Is it alcohol? Is it drugs? For some of us, it could be flesh book. Facebook, for those of you who didn't get it. And listen, nothing wrong with Facebook, but we have a lot of things in our life, if we're not careful, they can ensnare us and they can trip us up. And listen, we're to obey God, not only His revealed Word, but watch this. Are you listening? Say amen. Amen. Those things that God speaks to us about. Sometimes God will speak to us and say, stop that. Stop doing that. Or I want you to go over here and I want you to do this. You say, well, Mike, if I don't obey God every time, does that mean God's not going to help me? No, not at all. But listen, obedience means I'm surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. And some of you who come here are consumers. You want to consume, but you don't want to obey. And you see, God wants a lifestyle of obedience. Well, there's one final principle if you and I are going to deal with the challenges of life successfully, and that is this. We must receive the challenge as a test or training from God. Whatever challenge we're dealing with, we must view it through the filter that this is a test from God and God is in the process of training me. Now listen carefully. Challenge, challenges are either sent by God or God allows them. Sometimes God sends them deliberately to test us, like in the case of Job. But there are other times where God permits. He looks at the circumstances of life, and listen, we live in a fallen world with fallen people. We're just going to naturally face challenges in our life, and God uses that to His advantage to test us. Now, watch what He says to Israel here. Great passage. I love this. Verse 2, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years? Why? To humble you, here it is, and test you in order to know what was in your heart? You know why God tests us? It's not for his, his information. God's omniscient. He knows everything. You know why God tests us? It's so that you will see where you're at spiritually. He wants to reveal to you what's in your heart. And I can tell you this, there have been tests in my life where I have failed miserably. And I've said, God, I got a long way to go spiritually in my life. You see, the challenges of life God says here, I humbled you to find out what was in your heart to reveal to them whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you. How? He caused you to hunger. Lord, where's the food, Lord? I got nothing in my checking account. Lord, where's the food? I'm hungry. And then feeding you with manna. God would let them starve for a little bit. Remember, they grumbled and complained, and then God would feed them at right the right time. Why did God do that? Was God trying to tease them? No, he's trying to build their character. And he says here, which neither you nor your fathers had known, here's why he withheld, and then he gave them the manna, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You see, God had a teaching goal in mind. He wanted to test them. He wanted to train them because he wanted them to realize that their ultimate survival in the land was dependent upon him and not themselves. Your clothes did not wear out. Wouldn't that be great, men? Your wife wouldn't have to buy another outfit ever again. And all the men said, no, no. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Miracle. Know in your heart that as a man 
disciplines, and that word here is used more of training than it is correction for wrong. As a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. You see, every challenge is a test, and it's a form of training from God. God trains us. He builds our character. He's teaching us that ultimately we are dependent upon Him. You see, you can have all the food in the world and die. On the other hand, you could have no food and live. Why? Because your ultimate survival depends on Him, not you. And you see, God allows the challenges in our life, whether He causes them or permits them, He uses it as testing ground to reveal to us what's in our heart. He reveals where we're at spiritually, and then God uses it to build us, to train us, and to mold us into Christ-likeness. And listen, it's not always easy, is it? But the challenge will either make you bitter or it will make you better. It will either cause you to glorify God and grow in your walk with God, or it will cause you to regress and then avoid the church. So let me ask you a question. Are you dealing with a challenge this morning? If not, what does James 5 say? Is any of you happy? Let him praise the Lord. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel guilty. Praise the Lord if things are going well in your life. On the other hand, if you're facing a challenge now in your life, how does God want you to respond? Israel's challenge was the inhabitants of the land. Number one, what do you need to do? Reject fear. Number two, you need to remember what God has done for you in the past. Number three, you need to rest in God's presence. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Number four, you need to reflect on the greatness of God rather than the greatness of your challenge. Number five, you need to recognize that God often works progressively. Number six, you need to rely on God's power. Number seven, you need to resolve to obey God in your life. What do you need to put in the fire? And then finally, you need to recognize that the test or the challenge is an opportunity for God to train you. He's testing you. Let's pray. Father, we all deal with challenges in life. Sometimes, Lord, they they blindside us. Sometimes we know we're going to face them. We can see them up ahead. Like when we're driving our car on the highway, Father, and we see that impending storm coming. We see the clouds, the clouds forming. We see the lightning in a distance. And then we hit that storm. We know it's coming. But Lord, there are times where the challenges of life blindside us. And they knock us down. Father, my prayer this morning for all of us, Father, and we acknowledge this morning that in and of ourselves we are weak, Father, because none of us likes to suffer, Father. None of us likes challenges that stretch us. But Lord, it's the only way for us to grow. Sometimes, Lord, we want to just learn it by reading a book. And Lord, there are no substitutes for dealing with stretching, challenging times. And I pray this morning, if there's someone here that's battling a challenge physically, emotionally, relationally, vocationally, financially, God strengthen them. May this message and these principles give them hope May it breathe fresh life into them. And just take a minute now quietly. Maybe you know somebody who's dealing with a challenge in your life. Would you pray for them? And maybe lift up yourself right now as you're dealing with something in your life. Let's just do that for 30 seconds.
If you're sitting here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's your first challenge is to know him. He loves you. He desires a relationship with you. But the only way you can have a genuine, authentic relationship with Christ is if you come to him and say, I'm a sinner. I've broken your laws. I deserve death. I deserve hell. And I can't save myself by my good life. But I do believe that your son Jesus died for me and rose from the dead. And I place my total trust in Jesus Christ alone. The Bible says if you call out to God, he will forgive you and save you. It says, call out to me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If you've never done that this morning, please talk to me after the service. I would love to speak with you. Father, we give you praise and glory for all that you do in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.